Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Trump's most important speech. Former National Security Council member Rich Higgins joins me. The drop and roll fraud tactic, I'll show you the video. Crucial state election rundown and the Georgia Senate race. And finally, RIP Walter Williams, a true national treasure. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Yesterday in the White House, President Trump made a speech. I think it was actually during the time the show was running yesterday. And it was about, I think, 45 minutes. And he basically made his plea, his kind of uh, giving information and plea to the nation, to the people of America, to say, we have to find the honest results of the election we just went through. And he started out by lamenting about how long it's taking, but he has some great points to make. I asked Matt the Wonderful to grab some clips from that. We're gonna quick play those, and I'll just share a couple uh, remarks about President Trump's comments yesterday. This may be the most important speech I've ever made. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during the ridiculously long November 3rd elections. We used to have what was called Election Day. Now we have election days, weeks and months, and lots of bad things happened during this ridiculous period of time. As President, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system which is now under coordinated assault and siege. This is not just about honoring the votes of 74 million Americans who voted for me. It's about ensuring that Americans can have faith in this election and in all future elections. While it has long been understood that the Democrat political machine engages in voter fraud from Detroit to Philadelphia to Milwaukee, Atlanta, so many other places. What changed this year was the Democrat Party's relentless push to print and mail out tens of millions of ballots sent to unknown recipients with virtually no safeguards of any kind. This allowed fraud and abuse to occur on a scale never seen before. This colossal expansion of mail-in voting opened the floodgates to massive fraud. It's a widely known fact that the voting rolls are packed with people who are not lawfully eligible to vote, including those who are deceased, have moved out of their state, and even are non-citizens of our country. We have in all swing states major infractions or outright fraud, which is far more in numbers or votes than we need to overturn the results of a state. In other words, in Wisconsin, as an example, where we were way up on election night, they ultimately had us miraculously losing by 20,000 votes. And I can show you right here that Wisconsin, we're leading by a lot. And then at 3.42 in the morning, there was this. It was a massive dump of votes. Mostly Biden. Almost all Biden. And to this day, everyone's trying to figure out, where did it come from? But I went from leading by a lot to losing by a little. And that's right here. That's at 3.42 in the morning. That's Wisconsin. A terrible thing. 
Yeah, I'll tell you folks, in addition to what you just heard President Trump say later in the show, and I mentioned to you that we're going to be playing a video, they have named it the drop and roll fraud tactic, similar to what you saw President Trump showing you yesterday at the, his press conference. I'll wrap up the first five by saying this. President Trump's press conference was a great thing because he just radiates the message, I've been robbed. I, Donald Trump, won this election, and frankly, everyone knows it. The vast majority of Americans, certainly the 73 million who voted for him, and many other people who pay close attention and follow the elections as the anomalies, as the impossibilities occur, as the breadth and depth of election fraud is exposed to America, the vast majority of Americans know that President Trump won. He won the national vote, the popular vote, and he won the electoral college vote if that were to actually follow and be based on the counting of only legitimate votes. This was the ultimate message of President Trump's conference, and it's the message of my show, and I will continue saying we cannot, as a republic, as a country, agree to surrender to a fraudulent election, no matter how vociferous and angry the mainstream media is, the American Democrat Party is, or any other individuals are. We cannot say we'll surrender the integrity of our elections for, out of the interest of having a smooth transition of power, we'll simply surrender to fraud. That cannot be the answer in America. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. So we have a guest joining us. I mentioned when we started the show, Rich Higgins. Um, he's joined us several times. In fact, I realized it was not too long ago. He uh, also joined us, I think a couple months ago. Uh, he is currently vice president of the Unconstrained Analytics. He spent 20 years combating terrorism. He's an expert on the nexus between theological doctrines and information age unconventional warfare. He served on the National Security Council in the Trump administration as a director for strategic planning. He was Vice President of Intelligence and National Security for Red.LLC from 2011 to 2013. He's managed a classified project for Special Operations Command, SOCOM, 2010 to 2011, served as Chair of Special Operations and Low-Intensity Conflict at the National Defense University. I want to give a more detailed introduction of Rich Higgins because the intelligence, the breadth of experience, the knowledge of how our federal government works, the knowledge of how the uh, security operation of our country work. This is a person who can speak well to those issues. And I want to talk with him today about where we are in the 2020 election cycle, where we are with, as you understand, the, uh, there has no, been no result, there has been no conclusion of the 2020 presidential election. A lot of people trying to announce who they anoint, as President Trump earlier said, anoint who they want to have won. But there has not been a victor, but we are in the middle of a battle in this country over, what, over the challenges to uh, election fraud and who or what is going to present those challenges, whether the people who sit in positions of responsibility will respond to those challenges, and whether we as American people can insist on in our right to get to the fair and accurate result of who won the 2020 election. So without further ado, Rich Higgins, hello, sir. Hey, Debbie, thanks for having me back. Love having you on. Um, and you know what? I will tell you, I um, told you ahead of time, I, I sent some questions. I will mention to our listeners the reason that Rich was on a couple months ago is his new book. I want to show you, well, you have it right here, The Memo. And uh, this can be ordered from Amazon, I believe also ordered from uh, Rich Higgins, but it's called The Memo. And the subtitle is 20 Years Inside the Deep State Fighting for America First. I have to tell you, it's a great read. You want to read this book, an extremely um, easy to read, written at a level that people who are not heavily immersed in national security can follow, but a really uh, important book in America for people to understand the way our country operates and what Rich Higgins uh, revealed in his famous memo, which we're not going to talk about yet. So, Rich, I want to tell you, you've been starting out talking about the idea that um, the mainstream media's opposition, and it's massive opposition, of course, to the Trump campaign's efforts and Sidney Powell's efforts to get to the bottom of the election fraud in 2020, that all the media's opposition to the mission to get to the truth is actually, it poses a national security risk in and of itself. Can you explain why you say that? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, President Trump coined the phrase a few years back, he began calling the mainstream media fake news. 
Um, you know, fake news is a nice kind of catchy bumper sticker slogan. Uh, what he's really talking about is propaganda, and it's propaganda being pushed down at the American public, and it really does two things. Why it it first off it excludes the truth, right, and then second it replaces the truth with whatever fiction they try and foist upon you. For example, President-elect Joe Biden, and uh, they've been doing this now for three or four years. Although I think you know, their role in what is most certainly a real ongoing coup um, by the Biden, you know, by the Biden enabled DNC China corporatists. Um, it's it's now the media has become a national security issue, a real national security issue, not just a political one. Okay, actually, I was writing, taking notes while you were talking. Use the expression of China DNC corporatists. Can you say what that means? Sure. I think, you know, where, where, where people look at the, um, you know, let's look at this, the people that Joe Biden is naming um, to replace, um, you know, to, to come in as part of his administration. Um, let's pick Jake Sullivan as National Security Advisor. Jake Sullivan has deep ties to the international communists, um, you know, going back to his time with Strobe Talbot, uh, you know, working at the Center for the Study of Globalization uh, at Yale. Uh, he did time as the director of policy planning on Hillary Clinton's staff as uh, the, these progressive groups used um, Islamist groups across the Middle East to set back U.S. policy positions. And you know, we see him, you know, his legacy, this is Jake Sullivan, his legacy is of one of Syria, Libya, Afghanistan. Uh, just And so where, where I'm going with this is um, there's a project on, uh, underway internationally called One Belt, One Road. And it is a nothing less than the unification of the Eurasian landmass as a new market. And the Chinese are pushing really three strategies. There's China 2025, China 2049, and the One Belt, One Road initiative. And these are driving so much of what we see because the international financing supports um, a, a Biden presidency. And so that percolates down into the system where you have mainstream media influenced by corporate money, advertising money, and so on and so forth, not only ownership, is now you know, pushing this narrative that supports this wider geopolitical project. And so if you look at what's happening here simply as a domestic security issue, you're going to miss it. It's tied to this much larger geopolitical issue. And the pivot point for it is where the DNC meets and merges with these corporate interests. And so, you know, the DNC has been eerily quiet given their role in all this. I mean, the, the question I find myself asking often, and, you know, clearly it was an operation on the night of November 3rd rolling into November 4th and 5th. Who actually made the call to stop the counting of these votes in six states simultaneously? And, um, you know, that, that actually happened. Uh, you know, if one state stopped you know, Georgia, for example, we see that they faked the pipe leak in order to do that, and they stuffed the ballot boxes. Um, if one state did it, you kind of say, okay, you know, there's some corruption there. When six states do it at once, you're getting into the realm of conspiracy. And I think that, you know, what we have to ask ourselves is, are we comfortable with corporations and international money aligned with uh, Chinese uh, economic expansion across Eurasia dictating to the people of the United States who their president will be? Wow, that I am so glad you're able to explain all that and to lay it out. So um, it's, it's alarming, and yet for many people, it's, it's information they don't know, and it adds a whole layer to our opposition to what the left is trying to do. It's not just the Democrats trying to win one more election and trying to have a D in the in the White House and seven R in the White House. It's tied to these these global, or your, your term was. Uh, global corporatists. It's tied to this whole China, DNC, larger mission of China, the One Belt, One Road, all of that, uh, which is supported by, enabled by, encouraged by the left in America. I mean, so that kind of segues well into my next question. If I misstate anything you say, please say not exactly or feel free to correct me. But um, I want to just, I wanted, before we get into uh, this larger question of the concern America should have about a Biden presidency, I wonder if you want to add we, um, any commentary about why it is that in this country, as 
you heard President Trump speaking in the first five. We've been talking on this show about the uh, tremendous efforts being made by Trump's attorneys, um, especially Rudy Giuliani um, and, and Jenna, I forget her last name, and also Sidney Powell. I mean, great efforts to expose fraud, to explain how it happened, to, to, explain, to explain what happened with the algorithms, and, and just the, the, the wide breadth and scope of interference with our elections. But the entire Republican establishment in Washington entire Republican establishment is simply silent. Hardly anyone speaking up on behalf of President Trump. Number one, why is that, do you think? And number two, how harmful is that to our country? Well, honestly, I think it's extremely harmful uh, for, you know, for myriad reasons. I think that um, the reason that you're not seeing them do anything is candidly they're happy to see him go. Um, if you go back to the memo that I wrote warning the president in 2017 about their efforts underway at the FBI to remove him uh, using our surveillance capabilities and these intelligence and offensive counterintelligence programs, um, you know, they, they have, for the most part, been passively participating in, you know, Spygate, Russiagate. This is the Republican establishment. Uh, they passively participated in Mueller probe. You know, they all knew in middle of 2017 that there was nothing there due to the classified testimony at the House Intel Committee. Yet no Republican broke ranks to tell the public that um, and allowed the special counsel's office to persist for another almost 24 months. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's just money for the most part. Right. I think part of it's ideological. You know, they don't they don't necessarily see uh, Donald Trump as. Um, a traditional conservative, right? And he's not. I mean, he, he did a great job, I think, in his interview with Leslie Stahl before the election on November 3rd. They asked him in that 60 Minutes interview, well, she asked him, well, you know, who are your supporters? And I thought his answer was beautiful. He said, look, Leslie, you know, my supporters are just people who love America. And, um, you know, so his loyalty isn't first to party. It isn't to corporations. It isn't necessarily to the things that um, you, know, a tra you know, a traditional GOP establishment politician supports. And, you know, and, and I know you and I have talked about this in the past off the air. Um, you know, there's always been this question in the back of my mind as somebody who does security and influence operations, intel operations stuff. Um, you know, that when the KGB and the NKVD and the Chinese communists come after U.S. people, they aren't really interested in recruiting Nancy Pelosi or Adam Schiff. They already know they're ideologically aligned. They're far more interested in bringing in Republicans, not necessarily to make the Republican buy into the Communist Party line and turn them into a Leninist, but just to have them not speak up when the time comes and they're needed to. Yes, we have spoken about that, and that is an extremely important point. You know, the Republican establishment, and I, I've uh, characterized President Trump's success uh, in very basic terms. He made, uh, you know, he didn't run as a traditional Republican. He was a Democrat for a lot of his adult life, but he really reengaged with the, with the American people with the concept of loving America, loving the ideas of America, thinking America is noble, has virtue, should be protected, should be free, should have a return to free market principles, a return to a bustling economy. He just reinvigorated the love of America in the minds of millions of Americans. And what, because he did that, what you have started to be able to see is he's made a clearer contrast for the American people to understand how radically opposed to the idea of America, the founding ideas of America, the left is. I mean, committedly, they are opposed to much of his agenda because it restores strength to America, restores um, just our whole place in the world, a place of freedom and free markets. But he's also exposed how weak the Republican establishment is in Washington, how they really don't want to stand for those principles in the way that the American people want them to. He's really, because of his just, I love America, I love the American people, he has really done, he's, uh, you know, turn the light on, the rats are scurrying, whatever. He's, he has made, helped America understand how far adrift the ruling class elite is from Washington, adrift from the ideas of America. You think that's too strong? Is that fair? What's your reaction? I think you're, I think you're center mass, to use the military term, dead on. I think that I would use one, I would use one different word than you, though, Debbie. I would say that the Republicans that don't support him are, they aren't weak. They're indifferent. 
and it's that indifference to you know to what the MAGA people want, right? To what Trump's movement wants, to what the the, the political movement that transcends just Donald Trump. Um, you know, I, I've always I've always felt like he kind of walked into the movement. He didn't create it. Uh, he just spoke truths that many of us already, you know, we already felt and concerns we already shared. And, um, you know, the, the treatment of both Donald Trump and his supporters by uh, the Republican establishment is one of the real tragedies of the past several years. And the reason I say this is because, you know, uh, when Mitch McConnell wouldn't let him put forward so many of his nominees, when Rince Priebus was blocking bringing in the MAGA people right after the 2016 election, what they did was they assured that the institutional subversion that was done during the Obama administration re has remained in place. And it's increased the danger exponentially of a Biden presidency because all of that latent uh, resistance, the, the people that have been opposed to Trump for the past eight years are still there. So well said and so true. You know, I mentioned the other day, I don't want to get off and talking about the Tea Party today, but in, in some interview I was doing, they were, the Tea Party came up. And I was saying how the, the people, many people criticized the Tea Party and said that it was anti-Obama, that the point of the Tea Party was anti-Obama. And the Tea Party was, and still, it still exists in many places, but it was opposed to the policies of President Obama, but it had steam and momentum because for the first time, the American people are watching real leftists begin operating in Washington, and the Tea Party got formed out of frustration with the refusal of elected Republicans in the House and Senate to stand up. They finally realized these elected Republicans were more comfortable being in the ruling elite class, not ruffling feathers, not endangering their future election, not endangering future donations. That's what the Tea Party came from, that whole frustration because you can't get the ruling elite to act in accordance, uh, and the Republican side, to act in accordance with what they say they believe in. It's the same problem now. They won't act if it in, in the slightest endangers their ruling elite status, their re-election, or their campaign money. It's, it's truly astonishing to watch. But I want to turn to uh, one other point, which I think is a huge one. You and I have talked about this a lot, too, but I want to lay out for people. I have had even Republican friends say to me, you know what, There's been now we're in the middle of controversy in this country. We have all this litigation pending. We have many people doubting, you know, aren't we at some point is too much to do all this challenging of the election of 2020. And, you know, all of this is to say that the, the media seems to have called it, you know, they're on the path of letting Biden announce who he's going to have in various cabinet positions. What is so bad with the Biden presidency? That was real, a, a pretty much verbatim question I got was, what's so bad if we have Biden? So beyond that you prefer Trump over Biden, I want you to, with your knowledge of what happens in Washington and what President Obama did in eight years, seeding our country full of people who don't support the, the idea of America, lay out for us what's so bad about a Biden presidency. Well, I mean, I think right off the top, um, going back to my comments I made just a minute ago, where you have a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You have this overwhelming you have this overwhelming weight that's coming at us right now in terms of the institutional pressure that's already being brought. And I think when Biden comes in, he's buckling into a system that's already there. And so you won't have the normal time lag it takes for them to start implementing some of the more extreme policy recommendations. So, for example, bringing you know, Puerto Rico into statehood, you know, amnesty for 20 million people, you know, packing the Supreme Court. Um, these are all things that are sitting right there um, as, as positions that will at least be held like a sort of Damocles over the constituents, if not enacted. And I think uh, where we're, you know, where we're looking at Biden through the eyes of a, um, you know, how we understood him 30, 40 years ago, we need to understand him as somebody who developed deep ties with the Chinese uh, going back to 20 years when uh, he took over, I think it was in 2002 when he took over the Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, during the Bush years. And he developed a very close relationship with the Chinese ambassador. And, uh, you know, as we all saw, uh, or some of us saw who aren't just using mainstream media, um, we saw that they were, um, 
you know, leveraging his position on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and later as the vice president uh, to, you know, cl- clearly buy influence uh, with the sitting vice president of the United States. Um, you know, that, that level of compromise where he's, you know, he's a de facto Chinese agent um, and would be, you know, would be brought to bear in support of their wider strategic objectives, if not on every decision, certainly on the ones that they cared about. That, that's a great, great example. The other thing that I'm t- harking back to something else you said a moment ago was that when President Trump came into office, his pr- desire to place certain people, in, uh, a variety of people, into positions of authority in, in the bureaucracy in Washington, uh, the federal agencies, and, and his own White House was being blocked by McConnell saying, basically, I'm not going to help you, President Trump, get these people in which resulted in people having been placed in the bureaucracy by President Obama being uh, remaining in place. And these are people not just who happen to have a D by their name, but they were more the left-wing Marxist ideology of Obama that were sitting in positions of authority and, and are still there today, undermining President, Obama, President Trump in a variety of ways. And all these people are sitting there just waiting for the opportunity to kick the left-wing agenda into high gear with Biden in the White House. You agree? Yeah, look, yeah, look, I think it's not just the left-wing agenda. I think that's too simple. I think it has to be put into the globalist context, right? Yes, it's socialist and Marxist and it's thinking, but it is globalist and corporatist at the same time. See, I think a lot of Americans are taught that free market capitalism is the opposite of socialism and communism. It's really not. I think that we have this kind of weird hybrid emerging that the Chinese appear to have perfected. That's sort of this socialist oligarchy where the corporatists get to profit and everybody else lives like a serf. Uh, and the, the graft and corruption is just epic. And those are the other things I think that concern me the most about uh, Biden presidency is to legitimize what happened, uh, which was so clearly a steal and uh, you know a fraud against 73, 74 million Americans. Um, to do that is to basically bring about the end of rule of law in our country. And, um, you know, I've studied wars all over the world, been able to participate in one or two of them. And there's one common denominator that gets a war really going, a real conflict started. is That's the collapse of the rule of law uh, and, you know, return to the kind of state of nature. And we, we cannot allow that. Yeah, very, very, very good points. So the people in this country who are very concerned about this election um, and watching what seems to be happening, and I don't know, this may be outside your realm, but so what should people do who just want to stand up for fair elections and want to stop the steal as they, call, as they chant at these rallies? Have any suggestions for people what they should be doing? Uh, off the top of my head, uh, I think, you know, the, the way you beat the, a mobilized, um, a mobilized insurrectionist force like this, is you counter mobilize, and that doesn't mean you have to be out in the street with thousands of people. It can mean call your representative, call your congressman, call your media organization. You know, get rid of your cable. There are a whole bunch of little things you can do and become your own little, you know, become your own little army, if you will. Um, you know, this is you know, your buying power, your purchasing power. And then really, really important is just network with other people in your area, right? I mean, it's it's simple to say, but it's harder to do. And to begin to build out these networks and organizational frameworks that are that are going to help carry us through this, you know, very uh, fraught political time we're going through. Um, you know, when I when I when I look at it, um, I think it's really important that uh, we don't allow ourselves to get isolated, right? I think that the media, the social media, the big tech people. A big part of their effort in marginalizing the Make America Great Again crowd, the Trumpy, the Trump people, if you will, is that there's this overwhelming effort to kind of isolate you and marginalize you. It's very important that that not be allowed to happen. At the same time, it's important that we retain message discipline. We don't push disinformation. We don't push hyperbolic rhetoric, and we avoid some of the pitfalls and traps that they're gonna they're gonna try and get us to walk into. 
I love that. You know, one thing I uh, am aware of, and I mentioned on the show before, is that I think that the people who are have decision-making positions in this country impacting where how this election goes, which includes uh, electors, state legislators, state and federal court judges, uh, and even all the way to the Supreme Court, all the judges that may have some role in this case, there will be a loud voice in the streets of America on behalf of the left, uh, you know, just very as there has been really this entire year of 2020, a loud, violent voice. And I think it's easy for many people, for elected state reps and state senators, all the way up to the Supreme Court, to think the public is kind of with the steel. The public's okay with giving Biden this election, and they don't want to be the recipient of violence and anger and targeting as the left is so good at doing. And I would never advocate for people uh, to engage in violence, but I do think that a very public voice about on, on the right, letting letting judges, electors, state legislators, everyone who has a role recognize there's a mass of Americans, I would say like 73 million of them, who want to see this election come out right. So and for the for the idea of the Trump parades, the peaceful protests, the Stop the Steal protests that remain peaceful but are outspoken, I think those are helpful in, in swaying the, the perception these decision makers have about where America sits. You like that idea? Yeah, I like that idea. And I think it's very important that you, you know, your listeners maintain their political voice. Uh, that doesn't mean toe a party line. That means maintain your political voice. You do have one. Uh, you know, one, one, I think one last, you know, one last kind of, one last kind of thought I had on that is, um, because it sounds so doom and gloom. Uh, the founding fathers were geniuses, real ones. And the constitution considered scenarios like this. Um, there are mechanisms and processes in place to deal with this very scenario. And um, while they couldn't have foreseen big tech or the mainstream media or any of that, uh, the Constitution is still where we need to go in a time like this. And um, those processes are in place. The state legislatures do have tremendous power as, as regards to the electors. So does Congress. So reach out to those state legislatures if you can, legislators if you can, and reach out to your congressmen. You know, as of today, uh, I saw the president had retweeted uh, uh, or he tweeted out a thank you to Congressman Mo Brooks, who is one of the only congressmen that I know of, to talk about having Congress take a look at the electors when they come. You know, will they accept them? Um, it's really kind of shocking to me that you know one congressman is doing that. I mean, I have I have this you know, this vision of you know Congressman Mo Brooks standing there in Tiananmen Square against this line of tanks, right? <laughs> Yes, um, it's yeah. just it's kind of it's kind of sad that it's come to that, that we don't have you know, hundreds of GOP politicians standing up in opposition to this. Could not agree more. Rich Higgins, I am so glad you're available today. Again, for our listeners, this is Rich's latest book, The Memo, subtitled 20 Years Inside the Deep State Fighting for America First. Great book. Get his book. He's just a, a, a treasure in terms of his substantive knowledge about America and our national security. Thank you so very much for joining me today, Rich. Hey, Debbie. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to turn to something I mentioned at the start of the show. This is a video that was put out by a uh, the website is called Gateway Pundit, and I will tell you this: one of those websites, you, know, you I there is like a pecking order people have in their heads about websites, and of course. The left wing of America is constantly telling you that you can learn everything you need to know by going to the New York Times, the Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, uh, and they might throw in their Politico and other left wing websites. All of those websites and news outlets are to varying degrees simply propaganda outfits. They are no longer presenting news, they are contorting news to push the American mindset, to manipulate the American people into accepting the left-wing worldview. There are many, many websites that are great out there. When Gateway Pundit first got started, as, as any new outlet when it gets started, there are, of course, right, a lot of people saying, oh, who are they? Who are they to speak? Who are they to have opinions? And it happens with many. I remember when Breitbart first came around, many, even people, conservatives or Republicans were saying, well, you can't go to Breitbart. I mean, you know, that's just kind of out there. But these, you can use your brilliance, your God-given intelligence, every one of you, use your God-given intelligence in reading things. I'm getting around to saying Gateway Pundit was one which I'm sure leftists will still say, oh, you can't listen to them. They do fabulous work. They break stories that 
Vox, Politico, ABC, NBC, etc., the Alphabet Suit Media, New York Times, Washington Post, they, Gateway Pundit, Breitbart, other conservative websites break stories that the media would rather you didn't see. Gateway Pundit put out a great video describing a tactic, and I, I want to play it for you, Matt, I want to be sure to leave my microphone on because there is no voice on this, so I, want to, I might be talking a little bit, but they called it the drop and roll tactic. And what they're describing is the way this election fraud occurred in this 2020 presidential election by just showing you numbers and showing the pattern that started, they start in one state and they show you state after state after state. What they're showing you is an algorithm at work. So if we have this, please play the drop and roll fraud tape. And this is again, their term drop and roll. Here's how it works, the drop. They steal the Trump landslide and dump a massive number of unexplained votes. And then the roll, they fix the remaining vote counts in exact proportions to keep the lead. This is huge. So here they're gonna tell you how it happened in Georgia. Trump way ahead, up by as much as 57% to Biden's 42. The drop, they dump unexplained ballots for Biden, given to Biden for hours until Biden takes a lead. They just dump unexplained ballots in the roll for the next 53 batches of votes counted. Every single vote batch had exactly 50.05 to 49.95 victory margin for Biden. Every single batch of votes for the next 53 batches. These ratios are, as they point out, impossible. Every single batch of votes they add kept the same precise ratio. Same thing in Michigan. President Trump leading for hours by 55% to 43%. The drop at 6.30 a.m., this is the day after the election, 141,000 votes dumped for Biden, then the roll, almost every batch after that 915 batch had exactly a 50% Biden to 49% Trump exact ratio. Same in Virginia. This is how an algorithm works, my friends. President Trump leads for hours by 52 to 46. The drop of votes, it drop is referring to ballots dropped into the ballot box. 308,000 votes dumped for Biden in the middle of the night. The roll ratios are now set for remaining batches to be exactly 50% to Biden, 49 for Trump, exact ratio the rest of the time. This is what this whole idea is. When I talked to you, we had Russ Rams on the show talking about algorithms. They're demonstrating how an algorithm works. As you heard Rich Higgins make reference to a moment ago, you get to, they got to a point on election night where they realized all of the vote flipping they'd already done, all the manipulation of the early vote day, vote tabulation that were in the stored early votes was not enough to overcome the huge turnout for Trump on election day. So as they're announcing the outcome, they realize, shoot, Trump is winning. All six states stop counting almost exactly the same time and then drop what they're calling drop, drop in, drop in hundreds of thousands of votes suddenly and, and you know, magically added almost in, in a huge number. In fact, it was that little clip we played earlier of President Trump. He's showing where that happened. I think it was Georgia he was showing, wherever he was showing how all of a sudden this one huge spike goes up because they dropped a whole bunch of votes at that same, all at one time, all for Biden. And then once they get to the ratio, they're trying to convince the American people a plausible ratio of victory for Biden. This is what they're trying to do with the algorithm. They get to the plausible ratio, then all other outcomes they present for every other batch is reported to be retaining that same ratio. That little clip you just saw, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, I put a link to that video. It is a visual to help get the idea of what it means to use an algorithm to switch votes around to be sure that the one, the candidate that they want to win would win, even though in reality, as everyone in America has figured out, President Trump won re-election by a landslide. That is what happened. And they, the, I think the left just had no earthly idea how stridently the, the Trump supporters, the Trump's lawyers, uh, Rudy Giuliani, and then also the wonderful Sidney Powell working uh, outside of the Trump team, working on her own. The left had no idea how 
engaged and determined the opposition was going to be, that the Trump supporters are going to be, and refusing to just submit and surrender to election fraud. That is my drop and roll segment, my very fine friends. I want to do a little run through. I realized the other day, um, I'm giving a speech um, in the next few days, and someone was asking about, you know, where are we in all these states? So I'm going to run through. This is kind of my um, election day rundown, my, my crucial state election rundown, uh, and then getting to the Georgia thing. So the crucial state election rundown. What I wanted to get to is this. You hear, and if you read things online, you know, you hear all these different uh, stories. There's uh, testimony at one state, some hearing they have. And one witness says this, and then you hear some uh, group out, uh, not affiliated with the Trump campaign, and also not the Sidney Powell team, but other groups filing lawsuits. You hear all these different stories running, and, and it just seems like it's a confusing mess, and we're still in the middle of it. So what I'm presenting is what we know today. But I'll tell you, the six states that are the most significant in play, it is Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Those are the states where Trump is winning. These are swing states. Trump has to win some or most or all of them to get victory. He's winning, and all of them shut down their counting in the middle of the night. Hordes of just, you know, the drop happens. Votes are dropped in. And as we talked about in the show before, uh, in some cases, in numbers that are not humanly possible. They'll show a huge bump up of votes for Biden. And a number that no machine, the machines could not possibly have processed. But I want to get to where we are. So all six of those states, all the six I just mentioned, have certified their elections for uh, Biden. All six. And so where we are, because we're only here in the, the early December. So December 14th, coming up a week from Monday. So it's coming up. But December 14th is the day the Electoral College meets. And... That is the day when the Electoral College, the electors coming from the various states, will have to come together and decide through a vote, do they, can they get to the number of 270? 270 Electoral College votes is a magic number, which means a person has won. Under the Electoral College process, the person has won the election. So you have these states now all certifying. And, uh, and so then the, the litigation has started. I'm just going to run through some of the major pieces of litigation in each of these states. But I, I will tell you the one overarching argument that I want to be sure we keep our eye on the ball is this. The Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, gives the states the authority to run the elections in their states. And that that authority goes specifically and exactly from the, in the Constitution to the legislatures of those states. The Constitution says the legislatures set the policies and rules about the elections held in their states. Many of the states where, we're, where there is a huge problem, a suspicion of massive election fraud, not just the six I mentioned, but states around the country, you had last minute changes by officials who were not, they were not legislative decisions, just, just officials deciding, you know, given coronavirus and given the massive overreaction by our government to coronavirus uh, and the massive claim that we had to have mail-in ballots in extraordinary numbers around this country to deal with coronavirus, you had officials in these states making decisions that change what the legislature said the law was. The legislature, for example, can set, and, and states set, set different things. What are the rules about mail-in ballots? Who's eligible for a mail-in ballot? I know in the gray state of Texas where I live, uh, you know, the mail-in ballots, I think they're offered, uh, they're, you're, they're available to anyone over 65 or whatever the age is, um, and they're also available for people who are disabled. And maybe there are other categories. Every state makes their own set of laws. But in this concocted overreaction to the coronavirus that created the concocted unnecessary proposal for massive mail-in ballots. And when I talk about mail-in, I'm, I'm not talking about someone who's um, requested a ballot, who's sitting at home, an absentee ballot, who's saying, I can't come in to vote because I am disabled, because I am a certain age, or whatever my problem is. That's an absentee ballot. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fraudulent, massive national uh, undertaking by the Democrat Party to send out 
massive numbers of mail-in ballots to people who didn't request them. President Trump made allusion to it. So you have all these ballots floating around out there, and some of them going to people who not only who didn't request them, but already had voted or already planned to vote in person. So you have that factor, but you have the rules that were changed by governors, uh, election commissioners in various states, election commissioners in counties. None of those rule changes allowing the mail-in ballots are permitted under the United States Constitution. The Constitution only says that the legislatures can make rules. And in Pennsylvania, there was an argument that even though the changes about mail-in ballots and all the procedures around this election was passed by the legislature, what the legislature passed in Pennsylvania was inconsistent with, not permitted by, the Pennsylvania state constitution. So that is an overarching issue lur lurking beneath the surface in many of these challenges. But now to get to those states very quickly, tell you where we are. So Georgia certified their election. Uh, they now have one group in Georgia, not the Sidney Powell group and not the um, president's lawyers. An outside group has now identified more than 50,000, 50,000 illegal votes, illegal votes that were counted, that shouldn't have been counted. They are filing litigation. They are saying this, those votes alone are enough to shift Georgia to the Trump win column. Uh, there was a, a uh, in fact, I think that was what President uh, Trump was showing in the earlier uh, clip we played. Uh, Georgia voting irregularities, curious case, 20,000 Biden vote surge. Just all of a sudden, $20,000, $20,000, 20,000 votes for Biden injected into the count all at once. At the same time, 1,000 votes taken away for Trump. No explanation. No, no, just, just that's what happened. And you have, of course, Attorney Sidney Powell has filed a lawsuit. And she is seeking the remedy, asking the state of Georgia to have the election results be decertified, decertified, because after the election day, every legislature has to certify their state's election results, and then the electors can go from that state to the Electoral College. She's seeking the remedy both that the Georgia election results be decertified and that the votes be awarded to Trump. Turning to Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, they certified for Biden on November 24th. On November 27th, a large number of Republican members of the Pennsylvania House, these are state reps, Pennsylvania House, on Friday afternoon, called for the withdrawal of the certification of, of this uh, general election vote. They, they asked to have the, the uh, certification withdrawn, and they urged Congress, these legislators who are Republican members of the Pennsylvania State House, urged Congress to declare the selection of presidential electors from the state to be in dispute. That was something Rich Higgins made reference to a moment ago. Congress can get involved if there appears to be a dispute as to the electors, as to the electors and whether they are following their role under the Constitution. Uh, okay, so then you have, and uh, Sidney Powell's filed litigation in Pennsylvania. And you have attorney uh, in, in Arizona, Governor Ducey certified just this past Monday, November 30th. Uh, there was one lawsuit, the judge rejected it. Sidney Powell's now filed a lawsuit for Arizona, on behalf of Arizona's GOP electors, alleging Dominion software manipulation. So she's going into Arizona. This, the uh, state GOP in Arizona been very active, very strong, very, right in the fight. And Sidney Powell now bringing this litigation in Arizona, saying the Dominion software manipulation actually uh, was wrong and, and should be uh, thrown out. Okay, and so you have Nevada, which was certified for Biden on November 24th. The Trump campaign has filed a lawsuit asking a judge to overturn or annul Nevada's presidential election results. So Nevada's in, got that issue going on. And Wisconsin certified their election on November 30th. Trump team filed a lawsuit yesterday challenging the last-minute changes in election law that expanded mail-ins and eliminated safeguards against fraud. This is the issue I was just talking about, the overarching issue that, you know, you can't have state officials changing election law. The legislature only gets to do that. That's the Trump team. And Sidney Powell has filed a lawsuit in Wisconsin to block the state from certifying results. Make something else clear. Even when the state certifies the election, there's still the next phase when the state transmits, the governor transmits the certification from the state 
to the Electoral College. That's a place in the process that Sidney Powell's team is saying they're going to court, asking a judge to at least delay, if not uh, prevent, the, the, the governor from transmitting the votes, the certification from the state to the Electoral College. Uh, last one um, I was going to mention um, was in Michigan, certified for Biden on November 23rd. That, and this was a place, you saw that great testimony just a couple of days ago, uh, a, a brave young woman who worked at for Dominion uh, Voting Systems talked about, she testified under oath, testified she saw thousands of ballots were scanned through the machines numerous times. Like people seeing it's a Biden ballot or a stack of Biden votes, just scanning them over and over and over as so they're getting counted you know, each time, again and again and again. This is a woman, you know, she's got no, you know, dog in this race, no horse in this race. She's just saying, I saw this happen. They were cheating. She said, massive fraud. And you had also the issue we talked about uh, in Detroit, Wayne County, the canvassing board, uh, it was, is made of two Democrats and two Republicans. The Republicans did not want to certify the Detroit outcome. There was a, it went back and forth. They first declined to certify. And then under great pressure and threats and harassment, the Republican Board of Canvasser, two people said, okay, okay, we'll certify. Then they tried to take their certification back and say, I'm sorry, we're just being threatened. We only, we only certify because we're being threatened and harassed. And it was ruled they can't, they can't do that. They're allowed to change their mind from no certification to, okay, yes, we, we concede, but they're not allowed to change their mind once they certify to say, no, we don't. So that's ongoing uh, in Michigan and Sidney Powell's a lawsuit there alleging Dominion computer fraud and illegal conduct by election workers. I get to all this, I, you know, I could go through all litigation and the particular points they're making, but I want to get to, I want to hit the subject of Georgia for just a moment before I do my final segment. We are facing a, we are at war in this country, internal war. We are watching an assault on the American Constitution, on the right of the American people to elect their president. We're looking at an assault on the very integrity of our election system. All of the fraud that has been exposed the stories of ballots being piled in the middle of the night and tallied. We are watching a massive fraud happening right in front of our faces, and we're watching a stoic, silent, belligerent, unyielding Democrat media mob that just simply responds to any latest evidence of fraud by saying, can we talk about again who Biden ought to appoint to be his, you know, UN delegate? I don't know. What do you think? Oh, what do you think? I, don't, I think Joe Biden should acting like there's nothing going on over here. It's like them saying, ignore that noise over there. We're, we're over here talking about we're, we're talking about, you know, who Biden should appoint to all these positions. They're trying to ignore the outrageous conduct that has come to the surface and been exposed to the American people. They're trying to distract you from looking at it, from paying attention, from caring. They're, they're ignoring it with the hope that if you, they keep talking about President-elect Biden and keep marching down that path, that all of the, of the outrageous conduct exposed and the subject of litigation by Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and the president's team, other outside organizations will be pushed to the side and ignored. People, the American people have the right to know how the election came out. The people, and actually, as Rich Higgins asked earlier today, when all of those states stopped counting at the same time, I mean, somebody made that judgment call. Somebody said, whoa, 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 we're about to lose the election here. Everybody stop, stop, stop. Whoever is, there, there is a somebody or a uh, cabal of somebodies who made that decision who made the decision we're gonna, we're gonna, now we're gonna pile in all of these, we're gonna drop all of these ballots we've been saving up. We're going to commit the election fraud to start with. It has to do with the manipulation of voter tabulation software for the early votes. And we're going to push this thing through. And what those people, whoever, whatever cabal group it is, what they're saying to the American people is, we don't care who you want for president. We don't care how you voted. We don't care what the Constitution says. We don't care what policies you want. 
we are going to rule you and you're going to put up with a Biden presidency. You're going to accept it. You're going to put up with it. This is what those people who are engaged in this level of election fraud are saying to you. We don't care if Trump won. We don't care about the American people. We don't care about the Constitution. We care about winning. And we're going to bulldoze you into silence and submission. I am so grateful for the bravery of people like Sidney Powell and uh, Lynn Wood, although we got some issues with him, but Lynn Wood, Sidney Powell, all the attorneys pushing this. I'm so grateful because what they are putting before these courts, this is why we need, you know, tremendous, tremendous uh, pressure is being put on these courts to just capitulate to the left, give them whatever they want, give them the, the Biden presidency, and they need to be hearing from the American people saying, no, we want you to look at this evidence. We want you to examine it. Yes, we are in a hyperspeed examination of these issues, but they must be looked at. The evidence is overwhelming. We cannot allow the left to bulldoze it. It, it, it's not just this election at stake, it's all future elections at stake. If this is not uncovered, if the wrongdoers of the data tabulation manipulation software people are not caught, if Dominion is not thrown the heck out of this country, we'll never have a free and fair election again. I mentioned quickly in this segment, and we're about to wrap up here, but, but Georgia, we have this uh, issue going on in Georgia with the two senators, the election being set now for January 5th, this odd circumstance, both incumbent Republicans, uh, senators in Georgia are Republican, both from the ballot, they're both heading to this uh, date of January 5th for the runoff. Yesterday in that press conference where Lynn Wood spoke as well as Sidney Powell, there was a lot of talk about the idea whether or not the people of Georgia, the Republican voters who clearly want a Republican majority in the U.S. Senate, whether they ought to vote on January 5th if they have to use the Dominion voting machines because the, you know, because they don't trust those machines and you know they they Georgia probably also went for President Trump but they can't get the the uh, system in Georgia to examine the machines to throw out the fraudulent votes to figure out the real votes so there's a big question what should people in Georgia do I'm gonna tell you my answer the people the GOP voters the people who want to vote for uh, the Republican senator Senate candidates need to be pressuring the Georgia legislature to say, we want this vote to happen without Dominion voting systems. Do not tell me that there's not enough time, legislators, to come up with something else. We're here on December 3rd. The election is January 5th. We can, in 30 days, come up with some other system. Paper ballots that are counted with half Democrat, half Republican poll watchers watching every single tabulation, every single count. It is that level of importance, and the Georgia legislature so far has been unwilling to budge. They, in fact, the Georgia Secretary of State has been pushing to try to clean the Dominion voting machines of the data from the previous fraudulent election so they can prepare them for use in this January election. The, the idea though, I will say, I'm hearing some people say that the Republicans should refuse to vote on January 5th. People, that is like saying, I cut my foot so I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. That could not be more stupid. If you're in Georgia, you pressure the daylights out of that legislature to give you a fair election by getting rid of the Dominion voting machines, get paper ballots set up. But if that doesn't happen, staying home Staying home ensures you'll have a Democrat, two Democrat senators from Georgia sitting there in Senate, giving the Senate a 50-50 balance. And if you had, if we possibly must be stuck with a Biden presidency through a stolen election, you're going to have complete tyrannical power in the hands of the Democrat party in this country. You're going to have Biden and Harris in the White House and Biden will be gone in 10 days in the basement, you know, playing Scrabble, whatever he's going to be doing, you know, because he's not going to be president. So you're going to have Harris and you're going to have the White House controlled by the Democrats, the Senate with a 50-50 tiebreaker goes to the vice president and the House still controlled by Democrats is a very dangerous place for America. So Georgia people do not even think 
about staying home on January 5th. This whole line, I refuse to vote in a Republican for the Republicans until they fix the voting machine situation. Yes, they have to fix it. But if you give America a 50-50 Senate because you want to stay home and pout about the voting machines, not okay. Get out there and vote in Georgia, whether, I mean, hopefully without the voting, the Dominion voting machine, but if you're stuck with them, then use them. You can't stay home. You just can't. Okay, one last topic today in a nanosecond, true nanosecond, uh, Walter Williams passed away. If we could put a picture of, of him up, please. Uh, Matt, the wonderful, I, I sent a picture, I believe, in our um, email. This is Walter Williams. If you don't know who this guy is, he's an American treasure. He was a uh, economics professor at George Mason, a world-renowned economist, a free market economist, 84 years old. He taught his last class on Tuesday of this week, economics class at George Mason, and uh, uh, last class of the semester, and passed away um, the next day, yesterday. Walter Williams, a true national treasure icon, a, a brilliant, brilliant free market economist. One of the commentary about him put out by George Mason was that George Mason economics department sticks with teaching actual economics, like actual free market economics, and not economics designed to push a social agenda, a social justice warrior agenda, which is what so much and many economics departments do in this country. He was a brilliant guy. He substitute hosted in Rush Limbaugh once in a while. J just a national treasure, an outspoken free market economist, gentle, wonderful guy, a great loss to America. Walter Williams, rest in peace. As I wrap up the show for today, I'm about to go to Why It Matters to You. But my last thing I'll say before I go to Why It Matters to You at the end of this week of my show week is this. If you like this show, go to my website, americacanwetalk.org. Hit americacanwetalk.org. Hit the subscribe button. Subscribe by once weekly newsletter. It comes out on Friday or sometime Sunday if I get busy. It has links to all the interviews we've done, the substance. It's a great weekly newsletter, great way to catch up on the show on the weekend if you can't watch during the week, and great way to share the show. You may forward my email to anybody you'd like. And on that homepage is a subscribe button. This show is entirely funded by listeners. I've been doing it since 2014. I have never gotten a paycheck. I do this show out of love of America, out of, the, out of just passionate love for America, the most extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. America is vital for the future of freedom in the world. It is vital as, as a beacon of hope to people in this world who do not want to live under tyranny. It's a, it, is, it is the most extraordinary country in human history. And the entire purpose of my show is to stand up for it and speak up for it. And these are not popular ideas on the social media, with the social media tech world, not popular ideas on the American left. So my show, which has been growing and growing, and I so appreciate that, uh, it is being meddled with by social media. It is being interfered with in a variety of ways. And so I would love your support both to keep on the show on air, to expand the places I can bring this show, and to fight back against the censorship facing me and other conservative voices in America. I would so appreciate your support. You can go on to the homepage of americacanwetalk.org, hit the donate button, make a one-time donation or a recurring donation. Either will be deeply appreciated, and I would so appreciate if you would consider doing that. And most of all, I hope you come back every Monday through Thursday to America Can We Talk, because uh, there's always so much going on, especially in this election cycle, trying to get to the answer of can we get the right result, the true result of the 2020 elections. Okay, so here's a story very quickly, why it matters to you. We started the show today talking about why it matters to you. Trump's most important speech, that's what he called it. Uh, Trump's speech is refreshingly honest, human reaction to what everyone can see. He got robbed and everyone knows it. The swamp that has hated him since the escalator, escalator ride still hates him. The swamp stopped at nothing to try and remove him from office in the first four years. The swamp stopped at nothing to rig the 2020 election. The evidence of election fraud and voter fraud is everywhere and overwhelming. The evidence of fraud is in no way minor, isolated, or anecdotal. Trump righteously feels the election result shouldn't be contingent upon lawyers and judges. The fraud is obvious. He won the election, and he should be so declared. That's what he ended up saying, by the way, is that we don't need a new election. Just declare me the winner because I actually won. 
Never underestimate the sheer power of truth. Trump did win the election and the American people know it. The law cannot change the truth and should not defy it. And as to the drop and roll fraud tactic, we played that video for you, a brilliantly short and clear video illustrating via actual vote tabulation records, it decisively depicts the drop and roll election fraud against Trump. Watch it yourself. There is absolutely no excuse for anyone to claim there is no evidence of fraud. The proof of voter fraud and election fraud is overwhelming. It is documented. It is all in favor of Biden. It should be decisive in establishing Trump's re-election. The only question is whether American officials in various decision-making roles, state legislators, judges at state and federal levels, electors, and perhaps Congress ultimately, have the moral courage to stand up to the swamp and to the Democrat media mob and make the official election result conform to the reality of Trump's victory. And on crucial state election rundown and the Georgia Senate race, it ain't over in any of these states, even though they have all certified. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, lawsuits in all of them must be allowed to proceed and proof be presented. No faith will remain in the justice system if the courts steamroll the truth. The Georgia two-seat Senate runoff election on January 5th is a bizarre circumstance and heavily confuzzled by the, GO, the Georgia GOP governor's apparent corruption. Didn't even get to him say Brian Kemp, a lot of suspicion he benefited from Dominion voting system corruption. And the unwillingness of both GOP candidates to insist on a shutdown of the corrupt Dominion voting machines. Um, but you know what? We're still going to fight that. We need to get the legislature pushed to do the right thing. Georgia patriots must get over their anger about the fraud and fight for an election free of the Dominion, vo Dominion voting machines and vote for Loeffler and Purdue victories. GOP Senate control in Washington is imperative. And finally, we had the Walter Williams National Treasure, may he rest in peace, born poor, raised in the projects, drove a cab before becoming a professor of economics, prolific, powerful author, drove himself to become an icon in economics and conservatism. Few people understand the moral clarity and courage necessary to thrive as a publicly visible black conservative academic, and yet he did. Walter Williams was an American dream success story, a true national treasure. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can We Talk? Truth about America. Can you hear